0: initiating launch sequence.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm Ian Black, and you're listening to Ready for Launch, the podcast where I talk with first-time founders about the real hurdles of getting their business or passion project off the ground.
0: Three, two, one, zero.
1: This week, I'm chatting with the fantastically talented Allegra Poshman about how losing the best job she ever had when her company was acquired by Glossier led her slowly down the path of creating her own agency that specialised in direct-to-consumer e-commerce. Allegra, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here.
0: It's great to be here, Ian. Thanks.
1: Uh, Since we met a few years ago working for Twitter, you've definitely been my favourite person to partner with on projects. So it gives me huge pleasure to see your success continue to grow as you build your own company. Because I really think you're you're super deserving of it.
0: Thank you, Ian.
1: I'd love to start, if you could give our listeners a brief introduction of who you are, what your company does or is about, and what you think is unique about it.
0: Yeah, so my name is Allegra Poshman. Uh, I am a designer uh, by trade, and I have spent uh, the last five or six years of my career Really specializing in direct to consumer e commerce. Uh, And my approach to that, I think, is a little bit what I call T shaped in nature. So, you know, the deep bar of the T is really focused on, you know, online retail and then the crossbar of the T might have different components. So that might be branding and identity design. It might be packaging. It might be content strategy, um, or any number of things that it takes to really like launch a a brand or a business, um, in these times where, where kind of the online channel is um, really important, but there's always, I would say this, um, this consideration for uh direct to consumer ecom uh as as kind of part of my um my approach my process and and why people come to me ultimately um and in the last couple of months i uh, have been working on starting uh my own um consultancy or agency or studio uh, called PACT. And, you know, I think ultimately, you know, PACT does all of those things that I mentioned um, in, the, in this preamble. But I think what really sets PACT apart is, you know, a lot of agencies are really just um, about that first iteration, right? Like getting a company to launch what we are really trying to do is like nurture long-term partnerships, because we know the hard work actually doesn't really happen when you launch your website, right? There's a lot of iteration and growth and learning that comes when you put something out into the world. And so we're really focused on working with people over the long-term to really nurture, um, that, that online channel and really help them, um, you know, to grow into a 10 to $20 million a year business. Um, you know, and I think with that, you know, comes uh, some trade-offs, right? We, we keep our client list kind of intentionally small and very focused um, so that we can, um, we can really nurture those, those partnerships. But I think the really wonderful thing compared to other agencies that I've either worked at or with is that it really leads to um, a lot of trust, right? And this breakdown of a relationship, you know, this this relationship that breaks down the walls between like agency and client, and and really um, the focus on working uh, as a team, right? And very nimbly um, with you know a, a very lean group of people who are startups, startup vets, right? We 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 know what it is to launch a company. We've worked in house in startups whatever someone is trying to build, we've kind of built it, launched it, breathed it, lived it. And so, um, you know, now we're trying to do that uh, at scale for a number of different people.
1: I will definitely want to come back to that client agency relationship, but let's start kind of a bit earlier on before you became even a consultant, before you started Pax, you were head of design at another agency. Is that right? Dynamo
0: in Montreal? That's right. Yeah. That is right,
1: and I know for a lot of designers, myself included, there's a big fear of going out on your own and doing your own thing. But what was that like for you? What what made that decision for you?
0: Yeah, so you know, Dynamo uh, was the best job I ever had. I think it uh, will probably be the best job I ever had. Um, and, you know, prior to, to Dynamo, I had worked, um, in a number of startups and I kind of, I had that entrepreneurial itch, right? Like I don't, I don't think back then I would define it as like entrepreneurial in the sense that I wanted to start my own company, but, um, I, I really enjoyed working with startups. I really enjoyed working closely with founders and, you know, understanding what made them tick, uh, and, you know, helping, you know, to, to bring, you know, brands and um, digital experiences to life. And at Dynamo, we were a really lean team. We were about 30 people um, at its kind of largest size. And I worked with, you know, incredible brands like Glossier, like Reformation, The Honest Company. Uh, Sonder, uh, and a number of others, um, you know, to really bring these these visions to life. And you know, in my experience, um, coming from the startup world to Dynamo, it was just the chance to move much more quickly. Um, you know, because I think in startups, as they grow, things can get a bit more bureaucratic. And so I loved, I loved being an early employee at start in startups, and I felt like Dynamo was the chance to do that um, in an agency setting, just over and over again, working with. Really, really incredible people in this kind of first wave of direct-to-consumer um, e-commerce, uh, and eventually um, Glossier, who was um, kind of one of our most um, like prominent clients, uh, actually acquired um, Dynamo a couple of days before I gave birth to my son Cooper, and you know, in that I think was a consideration. Right? Did I want to kind of dive back into work uh, very shortly after having my son? Um, or did I want to take a beat and figure out what was next for me? And I, I think ultimately, um, I knew where Glossier was, right? Like at Dynamo, we had worked with them, uh, kind of from their initial stages, uh, till, till about four years into their business. And, you know, they were on pace for phenomenal growth and that is obviously kind of born true for them. Uh, and, you know, I just, I know what working at a startup, like at that level of scale is, right? So even though I think it's very fun to kind of run to the finish line as fast as you can, I, I really like working with earlier stage startups um, and really helping them you know, figure out what the story that they're trying to tell is, what their brand should be about, how they wanna position themselves um, for, for PR or, or um, you know, any number of things like that kind of really at the foundational level. And so I knew that that wasn't gonna be the case for Glossier not because they're not an incredible business, but they were just at a different phase. And that's really when I was like, I think I'll go out on my own and I'll just, you know, I'll just freelance until I find a real job, I think was, was kind of the way that I was thinking about it.
1: I love that phrase until I find a real job. Uh, <laughs>
0: do
1: you, <laughs> how long did you freelance for before you felt like that was a real job?
0: <laughs> um, that's a great question. I'm not. I'm not totally sure. I do remember, you know, I had worked with all of these um, amazing companies at Dynamo, you know, uh, that I had mentioned. And I mean, I was terrified to start freelancing. Like, I remember being like, if I can make like $500 a month, like, I'll be really proud of myself. Um, You know, because like, I had just become a parent. And, you know, the world just looked very different for me. And I think, you know, a lot of times when people talk about where they are in life, I think we really gloss over some of the insecurity maybe that we have. And so I think it's really important just to talk about that part of the story because, you know, I was like, okay, I can't go get a job at like another agency because I know, I also know what that grind is like. And some, in some agencies it's like working nights and weekends and, and all kinds of stuff like that. And I was a new mom. And I knew that that wasn't really totally the right setup for me. Um, but I had no confidence in my ability to freelance. And I think that that's really key. I was like, okay, if I could pay like a third of my rent or something, like, I'll be really happy. Um, you know, and I, I was incredibly privileged, you know, to, to be married to a, to a partner that, you know, was like, you know, I support you and, you know, you should, you should take on the projects that are meaningful and, and fulfilling to you. Um, but really it was almost like the moment that I decided to go freelance, uh, you know, and I was like, maybe I'll work a day or two a week. I mean, it was just, um, the demand was just incredible. And so, you know, I think in freelance, there's, you know, this, this phrase, like it's either feast or famine. Um, I, I was like, okay, well, it's clearly feasting for a while. Um, and I was like, I'll just keep taking on work, uh, because I never know when the other shoe's going to drop. I never know when I'll, when I'll not have work anymore. Uh, but like, it was, you know, two years and I, there, there was no, there was no famine, which once again, I think is, is a position of immense and incredible privilege. Um, but, but I say all of that because it really did take me by surprise. It wasn't what I expected or anticipated at all. And, you know, I think that, that, that whole experience really didn't allow me a lot of time to think, to even look up and be like, oh, well, I guess this is my real job now. You know, I think it was just a, a complete whirlwind. And I think I'm I'm still kind of in the middle of it, to be honest.
1: That insecurity you felt, was there a, has it, has it disappeared? Did it disappear? Or like, did you have any ways, Do you have anything you did that helped you build the confidence that it wasn't going to suddenly turn into famine?
0: Uh, I'm not sure if there was like a particular strategy that I employed, um, you know, kind of cognizantly. But I think after two years of working at just a complete breakneck pace and, you know, obviously with COVID, uh, my son at that time was two and a half uh, and we, you know, entered into a period of eight months without childcare. It was very clear to me that like the famine had never come. This idea of a break in the schedule just was not coming. So I needed to trust you know, that the work was kind of taking care of itself. And then I didn't need to continue in a complete state of panic that the other shoe was going to drop. And I needed to just trust if the demand has kind of been there for over two years, um, you know, where I, I actively have to turn things down because I just don't have the 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 time, the bandwidth, or the support, and my work is booking out six months, twelve months, fifteen months in some cases in advance. Um, I have to trust that if if there is a gap, I'm going to navigate it. You know.
1: Yeah. Did you have to do any marketing to bring in that work?
0: I did not. Uh, I have a hunch. I don't. I don't know how uh, real it is, but my hunch is that you know there's not a lot of people that really quote unquote specialize in this niche. Um, So I think people will probably type into Google some variation of like D2C designer for Glossier or D2C designer for Harry's or whatever it is. And I think that that's kind of how they find me. Um, You know, alternatively, I think a lot of people, you know, go to try to reach out to 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 dynamo uh because dynamo had built you know incredible sites uh both that i was involved with and some that i was not like blue bottle coffee um and lola and a couple of others and um seeing that maybe dynamo wasn't you know totally in existence i think they might kind of like crawl through linkedin and say oh well she was head of design and user experience um maybe i can reach out to her so i think that that sense of specialization um made it so that there was like a lot of inbound leads without me ever having to kind of reach out to people. And I, I, the other thing I'll say is that like I have had the real privilege to work with some really, really amazing people who have um, just shared my name with, you know, even more um incredible people and partners. And, you know, I can say I can trace back, I mean, out of probably a hundred or 200 projects that I've done in the last like two or three years, um, they can all kind of be traced back to like two or three connections, um, which is pretty astonishing from a word of mouth perspective.
1: I don't know that it is that astonishing. I have a theory that there's, there are a few people in your lives who are the super connectors and then everyone else doesn't do very much for you. And I think of you as, as one of mine. So that's kind of where that came from.
0: That makes me really happy to hear. <laughs>
1: You're welcome. You mentioned you were terrified to start freelancing. Do you feel different launching your new company, Pact?
0: Um, Well, the trust, I think, is there, right? Like the trust that I will figure it out and I've met the challenges before. There's like a certain confidence, I think, that I have now that I didn't have a couple of years ago is there and i have to say you know i am running and starting pact with uh my business partner alex and you know with that i think comes a sense of camaraderie and support that i just you know didn't have when i started freelancing which is really wonderful um but it's still scary you know starting a business you know i we're a team of 10 now uh including the business partner and myself, you know, so that's eight, you know, eight people that I feel responsible for, um, for their satisfaction in their, their craft and what they're working on in terms of where they want to go in their careers, um, their level of happiness, especially amidst a global pandemic. Um, you know, and I think sometimes I set out to freelance so I would have more balance in my life and maybe more space in my life for my son and my family um, and so it's kind of, you know, sometimes I sit back and I'm like, oh, have I, <laughs> this is kind of the opposite direction of that. But, um, I would say it's, I have the confidence that the work will take care of itself, but I think it definitely weighs on me, um, the weight of, you know, eight people's lives and livelihoods, um, much differently because it's not just me anymore. Right.
1: Yeah. As you've moved into, Maybe more of an operational role as kind of leader of, of co founder of this company. Has it revealed like certain gaps in your skill set that you feel you need to make it a success?
0: That's a great question. Um, yes, every day I feel very dumb. And I think sometimes that's incredibly draining and very exhausting um but i do think you know when you are operating as a freelancer um you know i think for me anyway like it kind of became a little formulaic like sometimes you would have t- challenging projects or you know you would work in a challenging team dynamic or the deadlines were tight like it's not to say that there weren't challenges but you kind of go into every job and especially because i am very specialized in like in e-commerce, right? Like there is a kind of formula. Like I know what is going to make something convert. I know what people need to do. I know they're in the process of raising money. Like I know a lot generally about where they're at. And then each project kind of fills in the specifics. I've never run a business before, right? So um, yeah, there's all, I think every day there's there's a lot of new lessons learned and, um, you know, there isn't really that person that I can just call right and, and say, Oh, well, how would you approach this problem? Um, and that's, you know, kind of knowing my limits in that regard, I think is something that I'm eager to to kind of work through this year, you know, to, to find, I don't know if it's a business coach or a mentor or something like that, but, um, yeah, someone, you know, find a third party that I can learn from and, and help, um, help us navigate some of that stuff.
1: Yeah. So where have you gone to get guidance when you feel to quote yourself dumb (laughs)
0: um well i you know my uh, partner alex is a really really good counterpart to me and vice versa you know i think a lot of my strengths are his weaknesses um and i think a lot of his uh weaknesses are my strengths or anyway. And we also brought on uh, an incredible um, head of operations. Her name is Kendra. uh, And I love working with Kendra because she actually doesn't come from an agency background or a project management background. Um, She was actually like uh, helping um, out like a manager. I can't remember her title, but at a venture fund um, here in Canada. And so she you know she knows what it's like to work with like you know kind of very stressed founders who are running around at like a million miles a minute and you know that's really what i wanted right in that hire and so i think kendra brings this really incredible perspective as a person who has never worked in an agency setting or you know she comes with this really fresh perspective and so even though that sounds a little unusual that maybe i would get guidance from a person who's never done this I think, um, that kind of freshness of perspective is really, really helpful. And Kendra is also a very good, um, I think antidote to, to, to me because I, I, I'm a very emotional decision maker and I think Kendra is much more, uh, cool and collected under pressure. So that's been really, a really, really like lovely thing for me, uh, so far. Um, and, and frankly has, has helped me really focus on a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the other things that I'm trying to work through, right, like financial projections and and um, more ambitious projects and, you know, quote unquote innovation, because I know that she's handling the day to day in a way that is really phenomenal. And I think if I'm being honest, a lot better than than me or Alex could do on her own. So that's great.
1: Was, is it, was it intentional to hire someone who wasn't an agency person or that was just she happened that was just happens, dance and luck
0: totally happens dance and luck but I think Alex and I both knew the moment we got on the phone with her uh she just had this presence that was completely disarming and you know highly articulate and very intelligent and You know, I feel like I ramble on and on in meetings uh, and she just, you know, she's one of these people that she, she says very little, but when she speaks, it's absolutely the right thing and the smartest thing. And um, yeah, I I would say it's very happenstance, but I think it's been, um, you know, when we had interviewed other people, the difference was just so clear. And I knew even if she didn't know how to do every aspect of her job, she had the kind of personality that that I really love, which is like, I'm not sure, but I'm gonna figure it out. Um, and I love that, right? Like, cause I think that that's really tr- how I try to approach um, problems on the best of days.
1: How do you approach them on the worst of days?
0: <laughs> um, probably more pessimistically than that, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> We haven't really spoken much about your business partner, Alex, yet. So where did you meet him? And how long did it take before you two decided to actually go into business together?
0: Yeah, so uh, I've known Alex for a couple of years now. And, you know, one thing, uh, it, I, I kind of met him actually when I was working at Dynamo. Um, and it's, it's kind of an interesting coalescence of things because, you know, at Dynamo, we focused a lot in uh, custom e-commerce. Um, and at the time, you know, Shopify wasn't really what it is today. There wasn't really a lot of options. You know, um, a lot of it was was headless commerce as you know, and, and really a lot of these founders were investing very heavily in their tech stack. Um, and the technology component was, you know, as critical as the brand component or other components in the business. Um, You know, and we saw that with uh, Warby Parker and Harry's um, and, you know, uh, some of our clients, right? So Glossy would be a great example. Blue Bottle Coffee would be another great example. Um, But there was a client that we had at Dynamo um, called Hatch and they were a maternity uh, brand who um, really wanted to move on to Shopify. And I think at Dynamo, we were just we were seeing that Shopify was a thing that was was coming up. And you know this would have been in like 2016, 2017, so a little while ago. And uh, we really just didn't have the expertise um, to do that. And uh, one person, you know, because the Montreal startup community is is small, um, that we knew how how um, we knew that was kind of bullish on Shopify uh, was um, the, this guy Alex. And so he had helped us out a little bit on Hatch. And then when Dynamo was acquired, um, you know, they, we, we kind of like transferred a lot of our existing, um, existing clients that were maybe on Shopify or looking to migrate uh, and recommended them to Alex. So I had kind of known him, you know, in passing, maybe more of like an, of an acquaintance thing, but, you know, then I went on to maternity leave and, and we didn't really talk, but as I started freelancing, you know, I, I, you know, this would have been like 2018. Like Shopify was much more a part of the dialogue now. I think it became a lot harder to convince every entrepreneur that they needed to spend 250 to 400 thousand dollars, you know, on a custom web build when there was an option like Shopify. And you know, more and more, I think I realized as I was freelancing, the the main difference was that at Dynamo I had this team of exceptional engineers and developers that. You know, I could not only rely on to bring, you know, the design and user experience vision that I had to life, but to really pressure test it and to challenge me to make sure that it was the right decision. And I realized as I was freelancing that I just didn't really have that dynamic anymore. And a lot of times I would design things um, and, you know, they would get kind of, you know, uh, passed over to a, to an internal development team and maybe I would no longer be on that project anymore. And, you know, then the live site wouldn't really match uh, what I had envisioned. And, you know, as a designer yourself, Ian, I'm sure this is kind of something that's familiar to you. I don't even just mean in terms of the flourish or the polish on the front end. I also mean in like the concrete decisions of user experience. So like a great example would be like a modal, right? Like, I might think that the best thing to do is like to wait for an email capture to come up once a customer is really deep into the, into their purchasing funnel or their journey, right? They've absorbed what this brand is about. They're starting to explore it. That's maybe the time to, um, to say, hey, do you want 10% off and join our newsletter? The time to me is not when they've been on their, you know, on your website three seconds and then you bombard them with something to, to click because they're immediately going to exit out of it. But without that relationship, right, That's not that that documentation or that messaging might be really hard to pass over to an external development team, right? So to, to no fault of their own. So increasingly, I was just really missing this relationship. And so I had a project that was like a, a, a full build and the, the client was interested in, in doing it on Shopify. And so I reached back out to Alex and... Um, we did this project together and it was, it was just amazing, um, you know, working chemistry together and we really loved it. And I would say from maybe three months after we started working together, you know, he was constantly passing design projects to me. I was referring, you know, um, development projects to him. It was even better when we got to work on these together. Um, and, you know, over time, Alex became too uh, too in demand, even just to continue working as a freelancer. And so he ended up hiring a, a web developer named Hannah, um, and and then hiring uh, my friend Carmen, who had worked with me at uh, Dynamo, um, and then at Glossier, and, and then left. Um, and so he started hiring up a number of people to support, you know, even the demand that I was sending his way. And you know, we had tons of conversations, right? Like, uh, you know, around, you know, his financial projections for the year and how he felt transitioning from freelancer to, you know, someone that was employing people. And, you know, it was always like, we were kind of doing it together. I think even from a couple of months in, but I, I was wary, I think, you know, I was wary to commit to something. Um, And, you know, I think at that time, I still really had this ambition that I was going to cool the jets on freelancing and really try to focus on, um, you know, working a couple of days a week. Um, But over time, I think I just stopped slapping myself on the wrist for that. And just saying, you know, hey, this is my passion. And I'm going to try to be the best parent that I can. And, you know, the best designer that I can. And maybe, you know, one can feed the other instead of one being at the expense of the other. And so I think I'm tr- still trying to navigate that, but, but all of that to say, I think Alex, um, Alex has been very generous and I, I think kind of, you know, saying it's, it's been he and I since, um, since, since day one, you know, and, uh, and yeah, that's very nice. And then I think pact is, is kind of the result of a couple of, you know, many, Many projects, many hard talks, many great talks, um, you know, really pressure testing and feeling you know each of our boundaries and having you know good fights and good conflict and and all of these kinds of things that I think when it finally came time to really decide to do this um, in December of 2020, we had been tested in, in every way that you know almost every way that that we could, right on the on the project level, on the uh, personnel level on a number of different levels. And I think we were ready to to kind of commit to each other in that way On from a business perspective.
1: It's a good story. Do you think you, it was important that you'd worked with him so much to start a business with him? Or like, do you think you would have come to the same conclusion that you needed to start an agency and would have found someone else to do it with?
0: I can say with certainty, I would not do this with anyone else but Alex. I don't, if I had never met Alex, I'm not sure that I would have started something on my own. Um, not that I don't think mm-hmm. I am capable, uh, but I just, I don't think, um, I, I don't think it would have been in the cards for me. Um, uh, yeah. I, I think Alex is, um, has a lot to do with it. And then I think to to your question uh, w- would would I have started it from the get-go? Um, I I really like how we kind of approached it. I do think it's an analogy that people use often, but I think it's, you know, it's kind of cliche for a reason. A marriage is like a business. You know, you will have exceptional times and very difficult times. And I think it's really, I've seen Alex uh, navigate a lot of challenges. He's seen me navigate a lot of challenges and we understand how each of us approach those things. And I I think we've kind of shared in a lot of um, success together, you know, individually and together. So um, that to me uh, really helped. And I think, you know, I was a part of a project, you know, with, um, you know, a a duo that was running a consultancy that uh, it ended up going sideways. And I think a lot of that was because they just hadn't pressure tested that relationship to the extent that they probably needed to, to run a company. And, and the result was that the company kind of started and folded within a year. Um, you know, and that's really, really unfortunate. And I think there was a lot of, um, volatility and conflict there, not because anyone was a malicious person, but because, you know, business can be really stressful and it really can push you to your limits. So I think it's really, um, just like in a marriage or in a relationship, it's really nice to just have some time to feel things out together before you're like, yep, let's start a corporation together.
1: You mentioned you'd had quite a few tough conversations, the two of you, like before you committed to anything. Are there any particular ones you think like particularly tough, but particularly important to have that other people should have if they're thinking about starting a company?
0: That's a great question. I can't think of anything that I think is like non-specific and immediately transferable, but I think generally, you know, Alex and I have a very different approach to hiring. Um, and I think like no one way is the right way to hire, but I think I could learn a little bit from his way and he can learn a little bit from my way, right? Um, and I think the same is true from a project perspective, right? what's the most profitable way to run a project? You know, he, he has one opinion, I have another opinion. Um, but I think I want to learn a little from his opinion. He wants to learn a little bit from mine. So we kind of, we, you know, we trial and error. Um, and, and I think that that dynamic of experimentation ha- has really worked well for us, right? About how to approach hiring, how to approach, um, you know, learning and development. How to approach you know how to take on projects, how to approach how to vet clients, how to think about the type of work we want to do um, you know it's all i i i I think it's kind of like a healthy tension, you know that we're kind of walking the line with each other um and yeah so so I would say just feeling out the bounds of each of those things um so that I think you know. The specifics you can differ on, but I think the the contours um, are kind of what's important, right? So, I our moral compass or, or whatever we want to call it in terms of business, I think is is always pointing in the same direction. And that's been very clear to me since the day we started working on a project together. Um, we may have a different idea of how the journey will go to get to the destination, but I think you know he is willing to. Um, explore my way and I'm willing to explore his way. And I think it, it, it has meant, because we've been working like that for a number of years, um, it, it's meant that you know, we didn't kind of sign on a dotted line, not knowing the way that we would approach those things differently. And I could see in other instances why the different ways to arrive at a singular destination might not work for every duo,
1: Great, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the direction your company is going. And something I know has always been tough for you has been saying no to work. Has that been made easier or harder now that you're building something larger than yourself?
0: I would say easier somehow. Um, so I would say this idea of saying no um is also a really big limitation for Alex. Um, but knowing it's a limitation for both of us and knowing that we're doing something together and no longer individually, I think is a very good motor motivator for both of us to do, um, to do better. And, you know, coming back to Kendra, you know, Kendra, like I said, is, is kind of a very good counterbalance to to that. And um, she's a really good, uh, she's a good candidate to kind of reign reign that in um when we're unable to say no and so and i think you know even though there might be the temptation to take on more and more things because of course now there's eight people and it's not just me um, or alex or, or what have you it also means like i said in the beginning i'm responsible for eight people's happiness and so i know if i take on too much it actually just doesn't affect only me it affects many other people. And that's been a really powerful motivator. I think
1: this team happiness, you know, you're, you're now responsible for that. And you mentioned life at Dynamo is one of the best jobs you've ever had. Do you think, are you trying to emulate anything from that company? Or do you have your own, you kind of unique stance on what a good culture within a company should be?
0: I mean, I think I'm definitely a, a a student and not the master of that for sure. Um, it would be really hard, I think, to to emulate what made Dynamo special. I think so much of what makes any workplace special is the people, and it was just a really phenomenal group of people um, that I think worked really really well together. I think you know my my dream would be to assemble a team that um, you know comes to work uh and and kind of gels in that way um but i do think one thing that made dynamo really really special to me as compared to any other workplace was it was the first place i felt that it was possible to bring my whole self to work and you know uh my boss there his name is also alex not to be confused with my business partner alex um would come in every day and say hello to every single person in the company um and i I just thought that that was so remarkable, you know. Coming, I, I was at a, a venture-backed startup before, you know, where there were like hundreds of people working there, and even though I was like the fourth employee, um, you know, it it was really this kind of like almost cutthroat culture. And coming into a place like Dynamo, where someone, you know, where my boss would ask me how I was doing and what was going on with my life and how my husband was doing, and you know, I just thought that that was amazing, and um, I you know, a lot of my colleagues went through um, extraordinary circumstances. Um, You know, I had colleagues that uh, had lost their parents. And I just saw Dynamo as a company just step up to the plate over and over again, you know, in terms of leave for bereavement, and, you know, any number of things that came up. Um, You know, I, I was pregnant, and had a very, very high risk, very complicated pregnancy, I was hospitalized a lot. And, I just, you know, I felt very supported and I felt like I never had to hide from my boss for you know any of these things and that was just so wonderful. And so I think going, you know, now that I'm I'm doing my own thing, I think that concept of really trying to be a place where people can bring their whole selves to work is something that I'm really trying to work on and you know very far from being perfect or even being good. But I think, you know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. It's a very, very hard time. You know, even if you're at kind of like the apex of privilege, it's still a very big cognitive load to live through the prolonged period of stress that we are all experiencing. You know, so for me, what's the best way that I can help that? So for me, that was, you know, I want to give my team half day Friday. So every week, you know, at at noon it's computers down. And while, you know, I, some weeks I'm better than others. I also know that for that to work with everybody, I have to be a model and I have to set the example for that behavior. Right. Um, and you know, so that's just one thing that I think, and, you know, trying to have it be a place where people can be, um, open and transparent about, you know, what's going on in their lives and, you know, if they need help and if they need support, you know, how other people can kind of step up to the plate to, to help them in that time, you know, we're, we're eight people. So, um, and then, you know, with, with me and Alex, so how, how can we all kind of pitch in to, to help uh, people? And, you know, for me as a parent, I'm the only parent on the team right now, but my, um, my business partner alex is expecting a child in in september so that that will change you know i think it's been so helpful in the midst of of the pandemic to just you know go from freelancer to to building out a team uh to to feel that support and then now as we prepare for alex to take paternity leave um how the team is kind of already planning you know six months in advance how we're going to step up to the plate um you know with with his absence so that he can really go and enjoy that time, you know, it's a once in a lifetime thing. And, you know, we really want him to be able to be present for it and not um, distracted with work.
1: How do you prepare for an an almost imminent departure of your co-founder just after you're about to launch?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think that that's where the saying no thing comes into, right? Like, I, and Alex jokes about it too, right? He's like, now I have this real deadline and that's a really, um, it's, it's helpful for me. You know, he, he has said to avoid the temptation to just, you know, crowd my plate too full in other words. But, you know, I, I think it's really about, I'm really leaning in. We're, we're about to kind of do some, do some reviews. And I'm really leaning into this idea of like strengths and stretches. So, You know, I think that everyone that I work with has this really amazing and unique strength, you know, and I might not know enough about it, but I want to learn more about it. So Carmen, for instance, is this incredible perfectionist, right? Like she's amazing at documentation and being detail oriented And, you know, I love that about her, but I think that that is actually a really, a really underutilized skill right now. So I'm trying to actively think of like the way that we can use that strength of hers to really like rise the tide of, of all the other boats, like all of the other colleagues, you know, to help people for whom that might not be their, their strength. Right. And so how can we tap into some of people's unique strengths, um, you know, to kind of um, bridge the gap and, and kind of level everybody up well, Alex is going to be out, I think is one way that I, I am thinking about it. And then the other thing I think is, is really just planfulness, you know, just really trying to be, to be planful, you know, and, and I think we think of birth as like this thing that happens and it's like, okay, well, it's going to happen. And we have a due date and it will happen around there. But, you know, because I've been through that life experience, you know, I've told them like your girlfriend, Michelle, you know, could go, into labor, like a month early, you know, she could have a C-section and not be able to drive for eight weeks. She could have postpartum depression. Like, I don't wish any of these things upon her or upon you. I hope that period in your life is imbued with so much happiness and joy. But I think for me, knowing um, that these things are possibilities, just because the baby's due date is September 17th, uh, you know, I am planning, you know, for August 1st until November 1st, for there to be a bit of a, an absence, in other words, you know, so I think the planfulness piece, you know, just like just not planning for like two weeks, because it, it might be much more. And how do you plan for a bit of variability? Because, you know, babies are kind of on their own timeline, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't. I haven't had any yet. Other than planning around births, though, like how far into the future do you plan for when it comes to PACT? And what does that look like?
0: I would say there is a, the rough outline of a five-year plan, uh, a slightly more specific outline of a two-year plan and a very detailed um, one-year plan.
1: What does success look like within those for you?
0: I think Alex and I are cognizant that we probably won't be doing this in 10 years. You know, I think we... um, are really laser focused on building a team that works really nimbly together on working with clients that were um you know kind of like very deeply embedded in in their businesses you know and i think that there is a number of potential ways that you know our team uh goes on to work maybe in more uh in, in closer connection with with one of these companies um you know or that we scale it to a place where we feel really good about it financially. And, you know, I think our hope is that, um, you know, the team can be rewarded for a lot of that, a lot of that grind. So I think that that's how we're thinking about it. I don't, that, that's kind of like what the outlines or the contours of like a five-year plan look like. Obviously there's like some more specific financial projections therein that I, you know, don't, you know, I, I may be too superstitious to, to share on a podcast, uh, but yeah. I, you know, I think in an ideal world, you know, I, I don't think Alex and I are foolish. Like no one will work at a place for, or very few people in, in today's world anyway, will work at a place for, you know, 20 years. So I think we're, we're in it to make the most impact that we can in the next few years um, and, and have fun doing it and do it in a way that is um, sustainable and working with interesting people that the team enjoys and gets along with and has fun doing uh, you know, working on, uh, their, their projects and then what comes next, I think we, we all hope is, is, you know, um, people's lives are a bit better and, um, you know, hopefully, you know, it'll, I don't think it'll ever be like, you know, enough money that the, the entire team retires on it, but, you know, hopefully maybe, um, a a little bit of, you know, cushion for whatever everyone's next act is.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you think of yourself as an entrepreneur?
0: I probably I no, I don't think so. No. Maybe it's my own like, uh, um, what's the word? um Hang up about that word or baggage, mm-hmm. but I, I equate that word with like someone that goes onto Shark Tank, and I you know I don't think I'm going onto Shark Tank. That's a silly way to think about it, right? Like. There's many ways to be an entrepreneur. Just because you're a service-based industry doesn't mean you can't be. Um, but that's my own my own baggage. I don't want to transfer that baggage to anyone that might be listening or coming onto no. this podcast in the future.
1: You're not the first um, to mention that kind of distaste of the word, though. For sure, <laughs> but I'm you know you're beautiful. you're already speaking of like oh well this is my company for the next 10 years and then what's next it sounds like maybe you don't want to call yourself an entrepreneur but you you're already kind of considering that there might be another move after this which feels very different to the uh, allegra of five years ago or so who was scared to go freelance and scared to start a company yes
0: yes i was never thinking like this was a freelancer
1: yeah You've transformed. What is something you think you would never have learned if you hadn't started Pact?
0: I'm trying to think of the most clear and concise way I could explain this learning.
1: We like long and rambling on this podcast. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> the The succinct answer would be: just because you can doesn't mean you should. And the long answer to that is: I might really want to work. With a person, a client in this instance, and they might really want to work with me, but there may be other factors that will make this an undesirable fit on both sides. And I think in the past, I have been willing to let my excitement or enthusiasm about a founding team, a project, a product, a client, whatever you want to call it, overshadow Um, potential risks of the project, uh, risk being expectations, risk being timeline, risk being volatility, um, in favor of, of feeling like I can do really right by them. Um, and I think increasingly as a business, I have to know that's, um, That's not always gonna be the case. And I think when you're on your own as a freelancer, you can be like, okay, well, I'll take a loss. I'll take this on the teeth. This will suck, but it's okay, I'll get through it. You know, when those kind of red flags, you know, ultimately reveal themselves. Um, But now as a business, right? Like there's a lot more considerations and it's not to say that I'm perfect and I make the right choice, you know, every time but I think I'm much more aware or I try to be aware of the, the potential ramifications or those red flags because today they don't just impact me. They actually impact many people on my team. They also impact the financial bottom line of the business, the, the projections um, you know, all of those things, you know, down to how much time um, you know, we're going to spend in back and forth negotiation or arguing or whatever. Like now it's not just, um it's not just me anymore I guess uh that kind of sounds like a downer answer but I just don't think I was so attuned to the multitude of ramifications or um kind of ripple effects of those kinds of red flags uh when I was on my own
1: yeah I like that just because you can doesn't mean you should It's good advice well, probably one final question from me before we go into our kind of wrap up piece having been through the journey of kind of growing your personal consultancy and then launching Patch. Do you think it's an experience that every designer should go through or not? And why?
0: I mean, I don't think anything is going to be right for every person. Um, you know, I think coming back to that strengths and stretches thing, uh, every person is a little bit different. And what's going to make one designer tick is going to make another um, designer miserable. I, I'm a perfectionist. You know, I I love design. It's my passion. Uh, One real hard limitation of running a business now is that I I just realistically have less time to spend in the craft. And that makes me uh, a little sad if I'm being honest. But the cool byproduct is now I get to work alongside designers that are way more talented than me and who I learn a lot from. Um, and that's really, really wonderful. And I think, you know, coming back to this idea of like, oh, sometimes when you're a freelancer, you just kind of drop in and out of different client projects, like seal team six style, every couple of months, you often don't have the opportunity to learn from other designers. And, and now I do, and that's, that's been really exciting and really fulfilling, but it's not for everyone. You know, it's not for everyone. Um, you really, I think to, as a designer who is running a business, you have to, you have to be able to sit with, uh, with people. And I, I think a real key to success, you know, and it's something that I think you're phenomenally, um, you know, talented at as well, Ian, is like being able to understand a client's business goals and long-term vision and um, all of those things, right? Because I think you ultimately feel like me, that that can lead to, you know, a lot of important learnings in order to approach a project. Uh, some designers uh, will take a very different view, and they're really focused on making the best, most beautiful thing, and that's wonderful, right? Like that is kind of a, a, a core tenet of design. But you know, I also think, in addition to being beautiful, design has to be functional, and I think that that's, you know, that's kind of my personal philosophy in terms of how I approach work. But I think it's really true when you're running a business, right? Like people, especially, I'll use e-commerce as an example because it's you know the the niche that I'm in. I get hundreds of emails a year, hundreds of people that come to me, you know, before PAC now impact, whatever that say I've worked with this agency. I've spent $120,000 to launch my site and the conversion rate is zero. Like no one can add anything to cart. And like that really breaks my heart because, you know, sometimes they may have worked with a freelancer or sometimes they may have worked with, with an agency and, you know, I can't know the whole story. I'm not getting, you know, the, the, the other person's input on that. But I do think that that, you know, nine times out of 10, I do think some of it um, kind of boils down to the pursuit of trying to do the best possible design, perhaps at the expense of function. I think it's something we see a lot today um, in e right? Like we really want to get away from the sameness or the blandness. Um, of the design landscape, right? Like everything does start to look like a glossier, you know, after a while. So it's great that we can kind of get ahead of that, but we we can't just do something crazy and out there at the expense of no one being able to find the add to cart button, right? So I think you need to, especially to start a business as a designer, you know, one where you're going to be helping clients, you you have to have a handle on understanding and working through people's business needs um in addition to you know exceptional design and and beautiful craft if that answers your question
1: i've definitely also seen some of those like very successful companies doing terrible things for their own conversion rate and it Mm -hmm. surprises me that they can happen (laughs) when you see some of these things but i also really enjoy it as uh consultant because you kind of have these really easy wins that can deliver huge value for them just by making yes. an add to cart button work as the users expected to
0: yes absolutely i think the hard part for me like very specifically in that example is like sometimes people have staked all of their savings on this right like coming back to the shark mm-hmm. tank example right like you see a lot of people say like well i i took out a mortgage on my home or i i put it all on the line to start that business you know Um, and I think today we, you know, in, in tech or whatever, I think we're like, oh, well, it's all venture-backed companies. It's all kind of funny money anyway, but whether that is, or isn't the reality, it's still money. And if people have spent a hundred or $200,000 on something, or or even if they haven't, but a lot of times that is kind of what it is to kind of like launch an e-com site today, that's an extraordinary amount of money to not have anyone be able to buy the thing that you're trying to sell. Right. And that's, it just frankly makes me really sad. So even though I can find a win for that, uh, um, in that as a consultant, it's really hard. Right. Cause it means people are coming, you know, they're already burned. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you can try to salvage that, but how, you know, there will be limits on how much you can do because so much of their budget is kind of spent, you know,
1: yeah and also they they probably again are coming to you hoping that you're you will do one version of a design that will fix all the things whereas really yeah. what it needs is like a constant iteration constant testing like yeah it's not
0: yeah
1: people are maybe coming from a kind of older world of design where you like get your printed graphics and the book is finished and it's like this one time thing but that is just not the way to win online.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, that kind of comes back, you know, to the essential value prop of, of PACT, right? Like what really sets us apart is that the work that we do with clients is long-term in nature and allows us to foster that connection with people that we work with. Um, You know, and with that, you know, we, we slot into their internal teams and, and try to, you know, operate pretty seamlessly in their day-to-day operations, um, you know, and, and I think with that is, is, you know, that there comes an investment, um, you know, on behalf of the clients, but I think it really is clients that, that know it's kind of a thing, you know, it, it does need continual investment. And especially because I, I am in, in, in online retail, a great analogy is a physical retail space, right? Like if you have a physical retail space in, you know, Soho in New York, you're, going to need to you know have staff to you know work in that space you're going to need to have you know people that clean it and you know wash the windows and do all of these things a physical space requires maintenance and online channel is you know is also kind of a space that that requires maintenance um obviously covid has kind of flipped that on its head right and um now the online channel is i think like a greater focus for most people but i think people um you know, even before COVID, we're like, okay, well, I can have a physical retail space. And like, you know, the, the online channel is kind of just set it and forget it, you know, like, I just kind of turn it on like a crockpot and I, and I spend some money to build it. And then it kind of, you know, runs itself. But I think um, it's, it's not actually that, that clear cut anymore. Right. So um, it, it does kind of take some, some fine tuning and some investment over time and, and some nurturing i think to to be honest
1: 100 percent, yeah okay we're ready for the quick fire round i'm ready for the quick fire round are you ready for the quick fire round
0: i'm as ready as i'll ever be
1: <laughs> okay we have about 10 questions three word answers max if you can i'm going to move you on if you don't answer fast enough so here we go okay. we're going to start easy who are you <laughs> A woman. A oh, What's your business called? Pact. Why should people use Pact?
0: To get bang for their buck.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Biggest challenge you've faced?
0: Knowing that I can do it.
1: Best part of your job?
0: Camaraderie.
1: Worst part of the job?
0: Invoicing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like invo- invoicing is the best and the worst, I guess, if I'm being honest. Huh.
1: The response to the invoicing is the best part. Sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, would you do it all over again? Yeah. Yeah, and why?
0: I think everything is a domino. Every job really built on it. You know, one thing built on the last thing. You know, so so that it's led me to where I am today, and I think where I am today is going to lead me to what's next. And I mean, to be totally honest, I don't know what that what that thing is going to be in five years. Right. Um, But I know whatever it is, it's, I'm, I'm being prepared for it today. Awesome.
1: Finally, if you want to share it, where can people go to find out more about either you or Pact?
0: You can go, you can follow me on Twitter. It's mostly retweets, sometimes complaining, sometimes jokes about design at Allegra Posh. uh, And you can find Pact at workwithpact.com.
1: Posh is P O S C H. Is that right?
0: That's right. Okay. That's right.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Allegra. That's us done for the day. This has been really great. It's always an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Ian. Bye. Bye.
1: Hey, listeners. Ian here. If you loved today's episode, Do let us know via Instagram at readyforlaunchpodcast. Follow us on Spotify, or please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find our content. Thanks, and see you next time.